Welcome to Keep You 100 Radio. I'm your host, Felicity Pointer, type 1 diabetic, certified health coach, personal trainer, and founder of Needles and Spoons Health and Wellness. Inside this podcast, you'll find the real and raw conversations around diabetes management, including the lessons that we don't learn in our endos office, my best tips and trainings, and conversations from the experts that I trust inside the community so that you can create more predictability in your diabetes management and feel empowered while doing so. Let's dive in. Keep 100 Radio is brought to you in collaboration with SkinGrip, the only patch company that I trust with my diabetes devices. I started using SkinGrip about two years ago, and before I found them, my Descom would last maybe four or five days before falling off, making it really hard to lift weights, hike with my dogs, or just wanting to do the everyday things that I love. But now, I can confidently travel, work out, and navigate life with diabetes without having to worry about dealing with insurance more than I have to, begging for replacements, and resorting to finger pricks. Plus, I'm in love with their mission to help us live fearlessly with diabetes. You can check out SkinGrip at SkinGrip.com and save 10% on your order by using the code LISSIE, L-I-S-S-I-E, at checkout. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Keep You 100 Radio. Inside this episode, we are sitting down with Piper Backholm on her experience with a functional approach to type 1 pregnancy. I want to add in a friendly reminder that this conversation offers a different perspective and should not be taken as medical advice. Any decisions made on your experience should always be discussed with your medical team. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Keep 100 Radio. I'm super pumped for this episode because we're talking about something that's hard to find a lot of dialogue about, I believe, in the diabetes space. And that is all about diabetes and pregnancy and preparing for pregnancy and just the conversation in general. So today we will be chatting with Piper Backholm. She is a wife, mother, functional nutritional therapy practitioner and type 1 diabetic of over 20 years. She specializes in an integrative type 1 diabetes management approach and pregnancy. Her family lives in Dallas, Texas, although she was born and raised in Washington. She's passionate about serving people, her family, and her clients. You can find her preparing nutrient-dense foods in her kitchen, learning a new life skill, loving on her babies, or working with type 1 diabetes clients. This year, she created the first ever type 1 diabetes pregnancy course so that other women would know that not only is it possible to experience informed, complication-free births, but to thrive through type 1 diabetes pregnancy. Piper, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. I am so excited to be here, Lissy. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, I am so passionate about all things integrative T1D management, and I know that that is a big part of what you do and what you are also passionate about. So thank you so much for having me. Of course. I feel like there is such a black and white mentality around diabetes management sometimes, and when we can bridge that gap through that integrative approach, there's limitless potential. So I'm super excited to get your perspective on all things type one diabetes, pregnancy and the the holistic approach. So very, very excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to dive in and talk all the things. Yes. I know we kind of went through your general bio, but do you mind introducing yourself, sharing a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So my name is Piper. I am a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. Um, I am also a diabetes educator um, and I am in training to become a LeMay's certified childbirth educator. So that is something I will hopefully accomplish this year, which is super exciting. Um, I am a wife to my husband, Wyatt. We've been married going on eight years this year and we have two beautiful children, Opal and Rockwell. Opal is four and Rockwell is one. Um, And I currently live in Dallas, Texas although I am a Washingtonian, uh, born and raised. And so this has been quite the year adjusting as we just moved here um, last January. And so we are just loving Texas right now. Um, 
Generally speaking, you can find me in the kitchen uh, baking long fermented sourdough. You can find me trying to preserve things, working in the garden. Those are things that I truly do love. Um, I really appreciate the art of slow living and honestly honoring um, nutrient density and a whole food diet. That's a lot of what I practice, uh, but it's uh, also the way that I live. And so um, that is really a big focal point in my day-to-day life. And of course, always spending time with my family and my babies. I love that so much. And I love that you practice what you preach too, because it's one thing to talk the talk, but walking the walk is so much different and harder sometimes. Preach it. Absolutely. And honestly, it is something that has taken me years to really own for myself before I even became comfortable with speaking out so much about it, because I truly believe that it's something I need to honor for myself and my family before actually um, speaking about it. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. What kind of got you onto that approach of integrating more whole foods um, that, you know, integrating that into your own lifestyle? Was that your diagnosis or anything different? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I actually, something that I I love to talk about because it it kind of blows my mind at this point, Um, growing up with type one diabetes, you know, I was diagnosed at four years old. Um, So I've lived my life basically knowing nothing different than type one diabetes. And um, so that being said, I was raised on the standard American diet. I had no idea what this holistic integrative world looked like until I um, got married and started having my own babies and really digging into the dirt and the research of what, you know, increases insulin sensitivity and um, really impacts blood sugar in regards to food. I didn't know any of that until four years ago, five years ago, actually, five years ago when I became pregnant with my daughter. And that's kind of what triggered this whole transformation of my lifestyle um, was my first pregnancy with Opal. And um, when I got pregnant with her, it was like I had this awakening in myself where it's like I am no longer living for myself. Um, You know, I am taking care of a growing human being and everything that I consume, every action that I take impacts her directly. And so um, that is honestly what initiated this transformation in my life. And also um, in full transparency, getting to the point where I was sick of westernized healthcare and the limited options outside of, you know, just recommendations for additional medications or, um, you know, additional uh, testing that was very minimally uh, helpful, if you will. It was not helpful in terms of getting to the root cause of issues I was having, like Hashimoto's onset. Um, And so I really started to dig deeper into causation and um, how to really generally improve T1D management as a whole. I love that so much. I feel like it sometimes almost always takes one thing where we're like, okay, there has to be something different for me. It was being diagnosed with Crohn's. I'm like, okay, there has to be something adding extra stress onto my body. How can I reevaluate? And that kind of got me into the holistic approach. And it sounds like for you is your pregnancy and understanding, Mm -hmm. okay, there has to be more to this. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Do you mind speaking more on your diagnosis and how that was to kind of go from growing up with this, from living with type one diabetes for 20 plus years to now having your own child and being, and, you know, going through that experience of saying like, okay, um, my health impacts somebody else as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I mentioned, I was um, diagnosed at four years old and 
you know, no one in my family had type one at that point. Um, so it was really just unusual territory. It actually took, um, multiple ER visits and multiple pediatric doctor appointments until they finally in the ER, uh, decided to check my A1C and my blood sugar. And my blood sugar is, um, per the nurse practitioner who was on staff at the ER, the highest they had ever seen historically. And it was over 1700. And they were, they were shocked that I was even alive at that point. It was, a total God thing. And, um, my life, I am so grateful for it in perspective hindsight. It's just crazy. Um, but that was, you know, really triggering, uh, for my parents at the time, because they had been taking me in and asking what is wrong with her. Like she's sick, she's throwing up, she's losing weight. Um, she's lethargic, you know, all of those basic T1D onset symptoms that, I feel a lot of providers should be familiar with, but you know, 20 plus years ago, they weren't as familiar with those symptoms as being common. You know, today we see a lot of people checking A1Cs in the hospital and blood sugar because it's becoming an epidemic, unfortunately, uh, Mm -hmm. with a lot of different factors in there, but that's another topic. Um, so I was diagnosed at four and it took quite a while until I had an official diagnosis. And then finally, when I did, um, I did MDI. So manual daily injections, um, for the first, I would say seven to eight years of my life until pump therapy was even a thing and developed, uh, which I am extremely grateful for now and was then. Um, and so I finally was able to get on a pump system a little bit later on, Um, But as far as, you know, kind of my lifestyle with T1, I was your average kid. I mean, I played sports. uh, I was homeschooled. Actually, my entire family was homeschooled. And so that was just kind of a culture that we had. But um, that being said, um, my life was very normal. We had a lot of activities. We were involved a lot in different um, sports and, you know, things like that. And so I didn't really feel like I was much different than anybody else other than how I physically felt, you know, obviously with highs and lows and whatnot. Um, but my diet was the exact same as Joe Blow. Like I, you know, ate the standard American diet. I was eating cold cereal for breakfast and a lot of gluten and, um, your processed sugar and all of those things. And, um, I finally got to a point when I was married where the first year I was married, I was like, I have got to get a grip on this because there is more to my health and to my story and to my future that I need to understand with type one diabetes in order to really, truly grasp what is type one? How can I improve my actual life and my marriage and my pregnancies in the future? And how is my, my mood going to be impacted with blood sugar dysregulation on my babies and my parenting? Like there are lots of questions that you start asking when you realize that, um, the healthcare system is honestly quite messed up in terms of how to manage T1D, uh, in Western terms. Right. Were these questions that you went to with your doctors? Like, did you have these conversations? So about parenting, about pregnancy, about all of those things that I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Just in general. It's interesting because in my personal experience, and I've had some really incredible endocrinologists and I've had some really unfortunate endocrinologist experiences, as I'm sure a lot of us have. Um, And I actually more recently worked with an ARNP who has had type one most of her life. And that was a beautiful collaborative care experience, which I'm so grateful for. Um, But prior to that, most of my doctors brushed off anything dietarily related. If I mentioned, oh, how does, you know, fat affect insulin? And they would just kind of say, oh, it's just the same. You know, you just, you just dose for it. And, or, you know, you just, you just avoid it. Um, Or you can just eat it, you know, basic answers that actually weren't supplying any an actual answer to my question. It was kind of a round 
you know, like ring around the rosy, kind of around the actual point that I was trying to make. Um, and so they kind of brushed that off. If I brought up supplements, it was like, there is no knowledge on a lot of supplements and wasn't even recommended to take supplements. Um, in terms of like pregnancy or, um, other questions that I had, um, I really honestly got to the point where I just decided to do the research for myself. And that's more of a personality thing. And just something that I really feel like a lot of type one diabetics need to know. Nobody can own your health, but you, nobody can understand your body the way that you understand your body. Nobody can intuitively transform your management style or strategy except for you. Um, you can go see a doctor, you can see an ARNP, a nutritionist. I mean, I am one, you can see whoever you want professionally and they will not understand the intricacies of your life, your medical history, your emotional capacity, all of those things that dramatically impact T1D management. And so I honestly grew to a point where I was just like, okay, forget that. I'm going to seek out alternative support and I'm going to become educated. And so that's what kind of triggered my whole lifestyle change and becoming pregnant and so forth. I love that so much. It it gives you so much more ownership over the experience in general, but also yeah. over those appointments to say, I did the research, I know my body, I can right. I have specific questions that you can support me with, but anything else, I feel solid in supporting myself or finding yes. the appropriate person who can support me. Absolutely. Were there other people that you brought into your journey at that point? So any other professionals or, um, yeah, medical professionals? Um, so I've seen a few holistic doctors, so natural doctors, um, over the course of the last seven years. And I would say that um, having become a certified uh, functional nutritionist, that honestly was the most impactful thing I've done for my health um, as a whole. But in addition to that, um, working with these natural doctors really gave me an appreciation and um, a different mindset shift on how food impacts the body and specifically insulin sensitivity and resistance, how micronutrient deficiencies, so vitamins and minerals, dramatically change uh your quality of life and your health as a whole, especially as somebody who has an autoimmune disease, because we are all um, deficient in a lot of those micronutrients that we need in order to be um, thriving. And so that being said, working with those providers really opened up my mind and perspective to my approach to T1D management. And that is what I feel like has made the most significant impact on my pregnancies and not the doctor specifically, but the idea that those things matter even though we're told uh, by Western medicine and or Western care, generally speaking, not again, not all, but generally mm -hmm. speaking that those things are irrelevant or that they sh shouldn't be factored in uh, because I think that's a bunch of crap, honestly. And so to me, um, having somebody actually validate that, which I now don't need because again, I have that same ownership um, after having growth. But I think sometimes as type ones, we question everything and we feel stupid because we're asking these questions. And we're being told by these professionals that it's irrelevant, that it's not necessary, that it's silly even. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that that for me was very validating and very encouraging to approach my health in the way that felt in, like intuitive to me almost. Like I couldn't deny it, um, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's only natural that we have questions about our health when something yeah. so drastically impacts our health. Like we have this big diagnosis that impacts our every single day, and we're getting these oversimplified answers when we go to see the people that we should be trusting 
with yes. our health. Yes. So just to give somebody um, who might be listening, who might not know the difference between their regular healthcare provider, endocrinologist, and somebody who works more on, um, I'm assuming like naturopath or in the holistic realm, how did they approach those those appointments differently? What did you get out of that that maybe you didn't find from your regular physician? That's a really good question. So I will tell you that they are nothing alike. Um, you know, when you go see uh, an MD or a DO or, um, you know, even an ARNP, depending on on their specialty and, you know, what, what their perspective is on their training and all of that, um, when you go into the holistic and integrative world, you can work with naturopaths, you can work with um, homeopathics, you can work with nutritionists. Um, and so a natural doctor, an ND, um, would approach your health from a holistic perspective of doing a very thorough lab panel. Um, so really checking for micronutrient deficiencies and other potential co-infections. So I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, maybe not, with like Lyme's disease, EBV, so Epstein-Barr virus. Um, we're getting really scientific here, but essentially what I'm I'm trying to say is that they are dramatically different. I can't even compare them because the care philosophy um, from integrative health practitioners, and again, there, there are wonky ones out there too. Nobody's perfect, right? But we have a pool that we can choose from and we vote with our dollars. And so I think that that's really important to remember. Uh, but that being said, you know, uh, holistic providers, they take a whole body approach. They take a physiological approach to your health and they look at you bio-individually. And I think that's the beauty of um, integrative health care and really integrative therapies and uh, practitioners. Yeah. Especially when we're living in a world where diabetes is kind of so, you're not looked at just we're, we're told over and over again that our diabetes is unique. Yes. But we're given these kind of oversimplified, like standards and yeah. advice that doesn't fit just us as a person. It's right. okay. Eat a low carb diet or here's, or eat low fat, or here's a basic, uh, calculation for your insulin dose, you know, just very like basic and not tailored to us. So I really like that approach of like, Hey, you're a unique person. Here's looking at your, like, let's look, let's dive deeper here to see yeah. what's really going on. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've seen in my practice, having worked on, you know, worked with one-on-one clients for going on three years now um, with type one diabetes specifically, you know, I've worked with over 200 plus clients who are type one and um, that's including families and children and mostly women. Um, And that being said, you know, one of the biggest things that I hear is I have eaten keto most of my T1D life and I feel miserable. Or I've eaten the standard American diet and I feel miserable. And there's a really big key in my practice and in my T1D pregnancy course um, that I um, have really implemented and has really been significant and not in my health personally. So I've like lived it out and tested the waters, but also in their health. And it's transformed so many people's lives in a non-restrictive, integrative, bio-individual approach to diet, lifestyle, and really factoring in those micronutrients and vitamin deficiencies that can play a critical role in just our overall, you know, uh, approach to life and just our, our ability to be present to show up. Mm-hmm. Can you speak more to the difference that you felt in your journey of kind of that before and after of kind of like living that standard American diet, uh, kind of typical advice going to more of this, um, like as you were speaking to, you know, focusing on the micronutrients, focusing on that holistic perspective. 
Yeah. I love this question because I have so many things that are popping in my head of like, this is so much, this is so much better. This has changed, you know? Uh, but one of the biggest things is that I would say, you know, growing up, I had a one C's in the sevens, like the low seven. So seven was pretty much, I never went above seven and I'm really grateful for that. Um, but since seven years ago, eight years this year, um, I have had a one C's below 6.5 the last eight years. And I'm really proud of that. Not because it's a grade, not because it defines me because it does not. If, if you were listening to that and you hear those numbers and you're like, what the heck, how does she do that? Um, is that normal? Uh, I just want to encourage you that your A1C is not a grade. Um, it doesn't define who you are. It is something to be respected and it is something to be understanding of. Um, but for me, having a consistent lower A1C that is considered quote unquote non-diabetic or not higher risk, um, for example, pregnancy, those are really empowering statistics and facts for me to hold on to. And if I did not eat in a supportive way um, to blood sugar, I would not be where I am. I would not feel as good as I do. And the nutrient density that I have in my diet um, really truly has transformed the inflammation that I used to have in my body, but no longer do. And I actually had blood work to to verify that. Um, I put my Hashimoto's in remission strictly off of diet and lifestyle changes, uh, like stress, um, and really get those things zoned in on and under control. Um, a really big one for me is my babies and my pregnancies. I managed independently on my own two pregnancies, both A1C of 5.2 and 4.9 with my second, I had unmedicated births. I went full term 39 weeks plus, which is considered like unheard of in the T1D world. Um, but I just, I, I really feel passionately that, um, had I not taken these steps to integratively approach my health and take ownership of it myself, I would not be in, in those, those, uh, victory stories or those victory outcomes of just feeling good and having these experiences with my babies, you know? Um, and it does take work, but that work is something I want to show up to every day because I want to be present for my life and I want to live my life, um, joyfully and abundantly. And, um, those are the things that really have impacted me so much. That is beautiful. And I love that you note that the A1C is not a grade. It's not a report card and it's reflective on how you feel because I I feel like our stories are very, uh, there's a lot of synchronicities there in that after I was diagnosed with Crohn's, you know, I went more of the holistic route of saying, okay, I just went four years in college with a tremendous amount of stress on my body, sleep patterns, caffeine, alcohol, the food I was putting in it. Absolutely. Then being diagnosed with Crohn's, I'm like, okay, there has to be a different way. Since then, about, I mean, my journey hasn't been as long as yours, but as the eight years, but the past three years, I've had an A1C under the 6.2, not because I was myself, not because I was eating low carb or being strict, but because I was focusing on, okay, how am I treating my body? Where, Mm -hmm. where am I, where's my environment? How is that impacting my health? Absolutely. You know, how am I moving my body? All these different things. So I love that we can understand that yes, the A1C can be reflective of what we're putting into it and how we're treating our bodies, but it also has such a big difference in how we feel and we get to defy that statistic of, Mm -hmm. I think I was looking at the T1D, uh, exchange registry and about 21% of adults living with type one diabetes have an A1C under a seven. Mm. And that can be so far off because so mm. many people have limited access to healthcare. Absolutely. So 
if we can provide the support to other diabetics, then we get to increase that statistic. (laughs) Can you speak to a little bit about, okay, pre-pregnancy, understanding that there's kind of this different side of healthcare or there's this this different way that you can understand your body. Were there any fears going into pregnancy or misconceptions that you didn't know more about? Um, Just those common like myths that were taught about diabetes and pregnancy. Yeah. I love that question because, um, so with my first pregnancy, like I said, five years ago, um, almost six years ago, I became pregnant. So technically five and a half, six years ago, um, with her, I hadn't approached my diet or my lifestyle the way that I did four years ago, four years ago after she was born is kind of when that took place. Um, but during my pregnancy with her, um, when I found out I was pregnant and I remember that day so vividly, I was so ecstatic, but I was also very overwhelmed with just all of the what ifs. Um, you know, what if I have um, complications? What if preeclampsia, you know, occurs in you know the third trimester? What if you know my doctor tells me I have to be induced? Doctor tells me, <laughs> quote unquote, um, I have to be induced. You know, what if I you know experience you know X Y Z? And those questions definitely were triggered in my mind because like I said, I had known no one with type one who had a had a baby or B uh, approached their pregnancy unmedicated, um, you know, at birth or wanted an unmedicated birth. And so for me, I kind of felt like I was walking in the dark, honestly, with uh, no real support. And so um, I think I had a lot of the same concerns, a lot of first T1D moms um, have, which again is why I'm so passionate about this and really supporting other women through this with type one. Um, but for me, I think one of the biggest things that I realized when I became pregnant with my daughter and my son, um, is that I am more capable than I think I am. And it's when you have this, there is something about becoming pregnant. And I will tell you, you, when you've experienced this, it is, it is unreal. The love you have for your baby and what you will go to for their well-being. Um, when I became pregnant with my first, I literally like overnight was like, Nope, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it fierce. And I instantly went into mama bear mode. There is something in you as a mom that you just, that switch gets turned on and you, you are fierce and you are willing to lay down your life literally. And so that is how I felt. And I, um, actually with my first pregnancy worked with one of the best, most renowned endocrinologists who specifically specialized in pregnancy. Um, and he was phenomenal at, uh, presenting me with statistics and, um, really encouraging me with the facts. And he was actually one of the only providers I've ever had, um, who was of that, that mindset, more Western mindset, um, who truly spoke life into my pregnancy and more evidence-based care. Um, and for that, I think it has absolutely impacted, um, my approach to pregnancy and overall T1D management um, for other women during their pregnancies because it was powerful and it really instilled in me the capability and um, mindset that I needed to have to walk through pregnancy for the first time without a whole lot of fear. Um, One of the things that I do think I bought into the first time I was pregnant is that I needed all of the testing. That's what I told myself because the doctors, the OBs, the MFMs, um, they really approach T1D pregnancy, like you were the highest risk patient 
in their practice. And that's really unfortunate. And I will probably talk about this later on, but I don't align with that. I don't believe that. I think that it's, um, it's 100% not evidence-based care. Um, and so one of the things that I did buy into my first pregnancy that I did not with my second is the idea that I need all the ultrasounds that I need all the non-stress tests that I need all the blood work, all of the, um, you know, potential chromosomal abnormalities, you know, the abnormalities that can come up. I, I, I had bought into that fear tactic because, um, they present you with, well, you're diabetic. So all of these things can go wrong. And they kind of give you this big spiel about all the things that can go wrong. And they aren't instilling you this, this sense of like courage or encouragement, or even the capability that you have as a mom and as a type one, because again, I've lived with this so long. Like I know my body better than anybody. And I also know how to manage this disease really well. And so, um, it was kind of one of those things that I, I bought into the fear and in, in that aspect of my first pregnancy. And while it didn't have any negative, um, side effects, I have grown leaps and bounds and have now, um, really owned the evidence that supports the second pregnancy that I had and really my approach to future pregnancies. Wow. That's huge. And as somebody who has never been pregnant before, this is really comforting because that oh, was good. one of the first things that I was scared about. I was diagnosed when I was 19. So that oh, wow. everything I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to adopt. Or I'm going to have to do like surrogacy or something that mm-hmm. you know, maybe wasn't in my original plan. So it's really comforting yeah. to hear that, you know, it, it obviously we know that it's very independent, but you're right. There's so many of these generalizations that we're told, you know, regardless of you know, for, you know, in that case, okay, everybody's high risk or you need X, Y, and Z testing or something's bound to go wrong. And that can yeah. still fear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So for your clients that come to you, do you notice that a lot of these maybe first time moms do, or is there generally a lot of fear or like, what are the common roadblocks that stop people from wanting to, um, or make them scared of pregnancy or having a family. Yeah. Um, so something that I actually just shared a post on recently is T1D does not automatically equal high risk, um, for pregnancy. It doesn't. And when we're talking about evidence-based research and we're talking about bioindividual T1D management, we're talking about women who own their health, So I'm talking, if you have an A1C below 6.5, you are an incredible candidate, um, generally speaking, for pregnancy as a type 1. Um, The ADA recommends, and I honestly don't ever refer to the ADA for most things, but when we're talking about statistics and we're talking about research and we're talking about science, it's really important to mention this. They say, they state on their website, if you have an A1C below 6.5%, you are at no greater risk for birth defects in your baby as a diabetic. Okay. So if the ADA is stating that, and yet we as type one women have A1Cs typically lower than that during pregnancy, why are we considered at higher risk? And one of the biggest things that I hear from mamas or mamas to be when they come to me and they're like, I really want to, I really want to become pregnant. This is my, you know, we're going to start trying, we're going to TTC. And, um, they come to me and they ask, you know, well, am I going to have to be induced? Am I going to have to have a C-section? Um, you know, can I manage my own diabetes during my pregnancy? Or do I have to work with an MFM, an OB and an endo? Like, what do I need to do? Who do I need to work with? Um, I think one of the biggest assumptions a lot of T1D women have is that they have to have all of these providers lined up and they have to have all of these extravagant plans um, and that they need all of these expansive tests and whatnot. And pending your own health history and your own, um, you know, cofactors, if you will, to your health, um, 
you shouldn't feel the pressure to have to conform to the norm of diabetic care during pregnancy. Um, and that's what I tell a lot of my T1D clients who want to become moms or even are second time, third time moms. And they have this fear around pregnancy. A lot of that stems from, unfortunately, the research that they're seeing based off of poorly controlled type one diabetics. Okay. We don't have any research that shows good control in type one diabetic pregnant women. We don't. Um, and so, and there's very little of it, if there is any that I have seen and, um, so that being said, I think a lot of T1D women assume that just because we're considered high risk, our pregnancy is going to be a risk. And that is absolutely not true. And that's not just based on my own experiences. It's based on the research. It's based on the evidence that supports um, with the technology that we have. And I wanted to mention this earlier with my first pregnancy, you know, five years ago, I didn't have a CGM. I didn't have a continuous glucose monitor. So I literally checked my blood sugar manually 14 times a day, two times in the middle of the night, set my alarms every night. It can be done. The second thing is, is I didn't have the same pump therapy with my first pregnancy as I did my second. You can change. You can um, integratively approach your management with the technology that we have today for those who have access to it. Um, it can transform your pregnancy. Honestly, if you have a CGM, the outcome of your pregnancy is going to be significantly improved because of all of the data that you're provided with in the continuation of that and the constant readings, you know, um, I'm not even sure if that really answered your question. So you might need to redirect me and tell me if I missed something, but it, it definitely did. I think what it all comes down to is a lot of the kind of that, even the emotional approach from a lot of our physicians. So I feel like a lot of our diabetes care comes from this fear fear motivation, let's call yeah. it. So yeah. motivated by high risk, motivated by quote unquote motivated, um, motivated by complications in the pregnancy or, you know, complications for your baby. Whereas if we can come from it from an empowered approach of exactly what you're saying, there's not a lot of evidence behind well-controlled pregnancies. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's give them those statistics of women yeah. who, like, what are the outcomes of things? If your A1C is controlled, if you have less fluctuations in your blood sugars, if you can manage from this different side of, of, um, care that we're not really told. And like, that's a whole bigger kind of issue than I think can ever really be solved. Yeah. From. <laughs> yeah. But I think there's, you know, if we were given a more empowered approach, which it sounds like you do for your clients, I think the outcomes could be way significantly different. Absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes down to, I know we kind of talked about the common myths in pregnancy. And if you were to be talking to somebody who maybe they're looking to get pregnant, you know, three, five years down the road. So, I mean, Hey, use me as an example. We're talking to each other. Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking at all of the kind of misconceptions that are given online or the recommendations or just kind of like the fears that people have, what would you tell them being on the other side of it? Like, what would you, what do you want them to hear instead? Um, first of all, that you are capable of having a complication free and beautiful pregnancy. Um, it takes work. It takes effort. It takes heart. It takes grit. Um, but it is so worth the effort. Um, I think that something I would love to recommend is, um, really eating a supportive diet so that you can be confident in your ability to change your own basal rates or your own long acting insulin to really understand the concept of pre-dosing or pre-bolusing your insulin. Um, the idea that you are capable of managing type one diabetes outside of pregnancy will equip you for managing T1D 
inside of pregnancy. Um, the other really big thing is, is a lot of type one diabetics, um, because a lot of women who I've worked with, um, and coming from my own backstory long time ago, um, you know, we go from these really dramatic keto to high carb to up and down, up and down roller coaster, I think is really important to understand that your body needs carbs. Um, this is my personal belief and my personal approach, um, to thrive. Um, and you also need a lot of protein, uh, preconception, preconception prep. One of the biggest things that I teach is protein, protein, protein. Um, and ideally it would be from quality animal sources and things like legumes. So beans, um, and things like that. Uh, I am a huge fan of organic and or raw dairy. That's a little bit controversial, but I'm going to put that out there. Um, but that being said, really eating nutrient dense foods that build up those nutrient stores preconception. One of the biggest things that I hear from women who have um, either never had a baby before, but have type one, um, or maybe they are second time or third time moms, because I do hear from a lot of multiples moms, um, this same, this same thought process, they've been bullied or coerced into an outcome um, during their first birth, their second birth, um, that they don't want again. And so they come to me and they ask me, what do I do? How can I accomplish the birth that I want? My doctor tells me, XYZ. Um, you know, my provider tells me I can't do this. And I always tell them, you can say no to anything and to everything. You are able to create a care team that supports the pregnancy and the birth outcome that you not only deserve, but that you want. And you ultimately are the person at the end of the day who is going to answer to your decisions, right? Not a provider. And um, I think that it's really important to understand that you can choose who that is and that impact that that has on your pregnancy is very significant. And the impact that it has on your birth outcome is also very significant. So don't take that lightly when you are interviewing and please interview your providers um, because you can choose whoever you want. Um, and you have that power, even though other people may tell you differently, even though other providers may try to bully you into decisions that you just don't sit well with. If something doesn't sit well with you, question it sit on it. Don't impulsively decide to do anything until you actually feel in your gut that it is the right decision for you, whatever that is, whether that's your management strategy, whether that's your baby, whatever it is. Um, I'm a huge proponent for sitting with it and understanding the outcome of that. Um, I think something that I want all T1D women to know about pregnancy is that um, your A1C matters, but it is not the only thing that you should focus on. Um, I really believe that time and range, and if you're not familiar with TIR, but time and range is critical. So when you have blood sugars that are, you know, up and down, let's say you're at 75 fasting and then you jump all the way up to 180 in the morning, that's not a great gap to be having consistently speaking. Um, and so what you really want to focus in on is those tight blood sugars where you have gradual, you know, climbs in your blood sugar post meal, and then you have a nice decline after your meal, right? Or during the day, if you feel like hormones are a really big factor for you, figure out how to navigate your hormones prior to becoming pregnant, whether that's pre-period, a uh, pre-cycle, those things matter too. So I'd say just really get comfortable with type 1 diabetes and your actual body and your actual health, because it's not as simple as just taking insulin for food and, you know, just assuming that's it. That's the extent of type 1. I wish it were that way, but it's just not. Um, you know, there are so many factors to our health that we need to consider in order to experience optimal health with type 1. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. It sounds like, again, kind of coming back to that main theme of ownership, a lot of ownership over your diet, a a lot of ownership over your care team, which I'm so glad that you brought that up because it even goes for endocrinologists. A lot of people don't have a great bond with their endos. And I always say like, it's okay to switch endos. It's okay to get a consultation with another one and see if you, if they align more with your values and what you want out of life with type one, we don't have to just go to an endo that is, I mean, obviously preferably covered by our insurance, but we don't have to just let that dictate where we go. We can try different hospitals or different uh, physicians. Like that's okay. So I'm really, really happy to hear that's, uh, that that's your approach. So I'm going to ask you kind of like a loaded question and feel free to take you know, pieces wherever you want. Um, But if you were to kind of, and I'm sure you do this with your clients, but kind of preparing for that general journey of pregnancy. So there's the before of maybe the woman who needs to lower their A1C to prepare to conceive. Um, And then there's kind of the pregnancy journey, which we know isn't black and white either. There's a lot of uh, hills and valleys with insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity. So how do you describe that experience to anybody who's kind of trying to prepare or get more real, like actual insight to the journey? Yeah. Um, So preconception, something that I really focus on is um, nourishing my body, but specifically type one related. Um, it's focusing on overnight blood sugars. Okay. This is a hack. This is something that a lot of people are like, what, why are you talking about this? But I'm telling you it's revolutionized my client's health. Um, it's focusing on overnight blood sugars. If you think about this, um, very logically you sleep between eight to 12 hours a night, depending on who you are, what your lifestyle is like, if you have babies waking up or not. Um, but you know, eight to 12 hours at night, maybe less, give or more, you know, give or take more, um, or less. But that being said, overnight blood sugars, if you can master good fasting blood sugars, and I'm talking fasting. Okay. So I'm not talking about 120. I'm talking about fasting blood sugars, which look like between 70 and hundred ideally. Um, and so a lot of people are like, Whoa, that's way too low for me, especially at night. Some people have a little bit of fear around nighttime and going really low. And I respect that because prior to eating in a supportive way and really taking ownership of my own T1, I also had those same fears, but I really want to encourage you to, even if it's, you know, having a better fasting blood sugar of 140 versus 200 at night, uh, depending on who you are, I'm just speaking to where you could be at, or maybe it's, you know, your normal is 160 fasting overnight and you want to lower it to 120. Okay. So the idea is that you want to be in tight margins overnight, because I'm telling you what that's going to do is it's going to create a rest state for your body. Because when our body is dealing with elevated blood sugars overnight, we aren't in a repair state. Okay. As type ones, we aren't, and that's just the, the, the real itty gritty there. Um, the other thing that I want to know is that when you master overnight blood sugars and you begin to see that decline, you know, moving down, whether that's 160, 120, 180, whatever it is that you're fasting at, it will dramatically lower your A1C. Okay. Um, so this can be, and I work with my clients one-on-one a lot with this, but also in my, in my course that I created, um, I talk about this pretty expansively, um, and how to do this. Uh, but that being said, overnight blood sugars are key to lowering your A1C. They're key to really feeling your best and getting over that, 
Um, sometimes a lot of T1s, they have the cortisol spike in the morning, which is what we call the dawn phenomenon. It's where you have this unexplainable high blood sugar in the morning. Um, a lot of you I know probably have this. Um, but that being said, it really helps to eliminate that or decrease that um, from even occurring. And so I would just say that this may sound simple, but really this is critical because if you can do this, it's going to transform your A1C and your, your overall daily blood sugars as well. Absolutely. That's huge because that's a whole that can be between 40 and 50% of your day right there. Right. You know, so that's huge. I love that. Yeah. And it's such like it's one, it's one time frame. That's all you have to focus right. on. It's not the right. like, yes, the entire day matters, but that's one thing that you can start on right there. I love that. Yeah. And I would say too that there's not as many variables. So it's easier. Okay. Yeah. Because during the day, you know, we're, we're doing, we're, we're working, we are uh, preparing food. We're running from here to there. We live, you know, busier lifestyle. And so because of that, we're go, go, go mentality. And we're not, we're dealing with a lot of variables nighttime. You're not dealing with variables like that. Um, and I would say another thing too, for preconception, um, for type one diabetic women, specifically, if you're focusing on, um, A1C and really wanting to lower that. Another thing that I recommend is, um, taking B vitamins. Okay. Taking B vitamins, um, obviously consult with your, your doctor or your provider about this, but, um, most type one diabetics are deficient in B vitamins and B vitamins are critical to, uh, carb metabolism. And also they're essentially like spark plugs to insulin sensitivity. Okay. So it's really important to make sure that you are taking again, those micronutrients. And oftentimes I will supplement a lot of my clients because quite frankly, food just doesn't do it for us who have autoimmune diseases, um, like it should. Um, and so that being said, you know, really getting ahead of the game and providing those B vitamins, um, into your diet can be really supportive and taking a supplement as well. Absolutely. I love it. That's it. That's really insightful too, because again, that's not a big thing that we are informed about. I never would have known that for my yeah. endocrinologist. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. So looking a little bit into the pregnancy journey again, you know, spark notes version, how can you prepare somebody for the nine months? I know that there's different sensitivity and resistance levels, just kind of how somebody might prepare and looking to maybe understand the trends that might be coming their way. Yeah. So each trimester is so different. And I love to tell um, T. Wendy women that it's kind of like a, a roller coaster. Honestly, it can be kind of fun and exciting. And then it can be really overwhelming. And you're like, can I do this? And I'm always like, yes, you can. Um, but essentially, you know, the first trimester is um, it's really interesting because you go through the first four to seven weeks where you're dealing with some resistance. Okay. You're like, what is going on? I've heard all about lows in the first trimester. Why am I having insulin resistance? So oftentimes during weeks four to seven, because your progesterone is peaking um, and you're producing uh, the hormone for the placenta to develop and to grow, your insulin resistance actually kicks in during weeks four to seven. Um, and then after seven weeks, you will begin to experience what we like to call a little boost of pancreatic insulin, right? So we actually get some insulin uh, sensitivity uptake in week, week seven to 14, typically of the first trimester. And so it's, it's kind of a, an interesting window because you're dealing with sometimes a lot of lows and you're needing to make a lot of really frequent pump changes or insulin changes. Um, so I always tell women 
be ready to decrease your basal or if you're doing MDI, you're long acting um, pretty regularly. I would say every couple of days between three and four days sometimes um, can be as often as it is the first few weeks um, there. And then also, you know, going into the second trimester after 14 weeks, you're going to see a gradual climb in insulin resistance. Okay. And this is because your body is producing a lot of hormones that create that resistance in your, in your bloodstream to actual insulin therapy. Um, and so really what can be super supportive to this is holistically speaking, um, eating a lot of fiber rich foods because fiber, and I talk about this in my course a lot, but fiber, um, for a lot of type ones, they are able to cancel out. And so dietary fiber equals net carbs, net carbs equal easier for uh, T1Ds to dose for, and you don't have to be restrictive with them. So it can really increase your sens insulin sensitivity without having to restrict carbs, which is really important for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of women with type one, another thing with a second trimester is, um, it's honestly like the honeymoon period for a lot of type one women, because it's kind of like right before your body really grows a lot with baby and baby really grows and, you know, things aren't super drastically changing yet. Um, and so you kind of have this fun phase, if you will, even with type one, I would say it really is like the honeymoon period of the pregnancy. Um, so I really want to encourage you to just enjoy it, to just embrace it. Nobody's going to tell you that, but I want to be the one to tell you that enjoy it, embrace it. Um, and also, you know, just remember that you are going to have days where you have a high blood sugar. Okay. No one is perfect. Um, it is not about the one-off blood sugars that you have that are higher elevated. Okay. It's if you have consistently high blood sugar patterns that you are not getting under control. That is when it becomes a concern. That's a huge misconception during T1D pregnancy is, oh my gosh, I had a high. What am I going to do? Is my baby going to, you know, is my baby going to be, you know, am I going to have issues with my baby? Is, is my baby going to be okay? Yes, your baby is going to be fine. Your body is incredible. Your baby is resilient. Um, it's a matter of having good control 99, you know, 90 to 99% of the time and not fixating on those days where you just quite frankly have a weird surge in hormones and you just aren't prepared for it. That's normal. Um, it's normal to not know how to approach things all the time. And that's why giving yourself grace, taking a step back, reminding yourself why you're working hard uh, through your pregnancy for the outcome that you deserve and you want. And ultimately, um, you know, just back to the basics here, but just remember that it's okay to have those days and you will get through them and your baby will be okay. If you feel like you are experiencing a lot of those days, get the support that you need. Um, make sure that you are taking enough insulin. And then I would say for the third trimester, you are going to double or triple your basal. Okay. So your long acting and your basal, you are going to be taking double to triple. And I don't care what diet you eat, whether that's keto, if you eat high carb, if you eat, um, you know, a more metabolically supportive, but higher protein diet, maybe you're eating a lower glycemic diet, um, whatever that looks like for you, you're going to experience resistance and you're going to have, um, a significant increase in your basal, your, your, um, overnight, or sorry, your long acting insulin. And so because of that, be comfortable with it. I know a lot of type ones are really afraid of the dramatic impact that a lot of insulin can have on them and their baby. And it's kind of like this scary idea, but I really want to encourage you that it's normal. 
that this is normal. And in a person who's fully functioning with a, with a normal pancreas that's working for them, this is normal in even their body to increase insulin. Okay. And so this is something that a lot of people don't really understand about physiological birth. This is what our bodies were made to do. Your body needs more insulin because your baby is taking more of you. Okay. And so that's just normal. There's nothing to be fear uh, minded about that. Um, be comfortable with it. Be confident in your ability to give enough insulin so that you can feel good and so that your baby can be healthy. Amazing. This was such a good answer. So well-rounded and you can oh, tell awesome. <laughs> it's, it's again, when we go into our physician's office, will we get this kind of answer? I feel like it'd be more of, Hey, maybe expect more resistance. Okay. Just go along with it. And that was very detailed. And I think it will bring a lot of comfort to a lot of people, but to your point, people without diabetes aren't focusing on how much insulin they're producing. 100%. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, it's really interesting too, because when you hear about gestational diabetes during pregnancy, um, you know, a lot of these women have A1Cs that are, you know, 6.2 who are gestational diabetics. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it, it's, it's just so fascinating to me to see such little understanding around T1D pregnancy. And yet we see a lot of issues in gestational diabetes management and um, type one is just so different in how we really do take ownership of that and have so much understanding around it that it honestly, I remember hearing my endocrinologist and my uh, midwife with my last birth. She's like, your A1C is better than mine. I'm like, no kidding. Like I hear that all the time. Your A1C is better than mine. I'm like, I'm not so sure that's good for you, but you know, like, like, you know, um, yeah, it's just funny because I hear that a lot. And I think it's important to remember that you as a type one mama are working 10 times harder than most pregnant women. So just remember that your, your hard work does pay off and it will create a good outcome for you. Oh. I love how encouraging and empowering you are. It's incredible. So let's talk a little bit about what you, because I heard you say a little bit about you work with one-on-one -on -one clients, but also you have a new course that just came out. So let's talk about how you support type one women in the, the pregnancy journey and how people can find more about you and what you do, because obviously this is so much more than can fit into a an hour long podcast episode. <laughs> right, right. Um, so you can find more information on this. I'm just going to give a little blurb about it because I don't want to take up too much time here. But um, I created the first ever T1D pregnancy course, and um, it aligns so much with evidence based research, evidence based care. And I have created an entire resource library with actual studies, with actual research for women with type one to make informed decisions around their pregnancies and their births. Um, I have created a midwifery directory for those who desire to work with a midwife, um, which is really incredible. And for those who don't, I also provide a lot of hospital-based care um, suggestions and research as well. Uh, but this course was something that was birthed out of my personal experiences and going on 20 plus years of research. And my nutrition background also is dramatically um, involved in my course as well in really speaking to how carbs, fat, fiber um, impact, you know, and protein impact blood sugar and how can they impact insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance. Um, you know, I talk about a lot of that and strategies as well in the course. So if you are interested in learning more about the T1D pregnancy course, it's just twndpregnancy.com and you can learn more there. Um, I also have my Piper Back Home Wellness Instagram account where I talk a lot about the T1D pregnancy course and in general T1D management. Um, so you can find out more there. And then I have my professional website, Piper Back Home Wellness as well. And that's kind of where you can find me. Amazing. I will have everything linked in the show notes. So everybody can go right there and find you and connect with you because 
I can obviously tell how much you have to offer and it's such a different approach than what we're told. And I think that everybody needs to, needs a little bit of that in our lives with type one. So I'm really excited for everybody to connect with you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate your heart and what you're doing um, and your passion as well for T1D health and management overall for type one diabetics. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and sharing all of your wealth of knowledge. It's going to make seriously such an impact in in everybody's life. And I'm really excited for everybody to hear this. Thank you. It was my pleasure.